Welcome to the Times Yours podcast, which has been uh, on hiatus since it's normally just like a football season thing. But because of baseball season, I'm not on the air very much on WIP. And also, there's so much basketball going on, and I feel like, I, I honestly, uh, I feel like Twitter is, is sort of, it drives me crazy sometimes, and I, I feel like it could be the bane of my existence. But without it, I wouldn't have the chance to talk about so much basketball with so many different people. And one of those people is actually... Yeah, I got Rich Hoffman of uh, of Liberty Ballers, and your your blog now. I I know it's quarter pounder without cheese, but what is the actual URL? Like, what? Where do we direct people? Uh, no, that's it. Quarter pounder no cheese dot com. Quarter pounder no cheese dot com. I always I remember one of my favorite things is like I remember when Mike Bauman from uh, Crash Burn Alley and Liberty Ballers, his Twitter was Atomic Ruckus. And the first time I had him on the air and I said it, I was like, bro, you, you got to change the Twitter. And he's like, why? I was like, it's got to be your name. It's just if you're going to be a real guy, it's got to be your name. And then I remember you were changing yours once. And I was like, can it please just be Rich Hoffman? And you finally you finally cave to that. And then you start the blog. And it's like I can't I can't figure out why it's quarter pounder, no cheese. Well, I think. I think it's quarter pound or no cheese to make sure it's still, still little red and you know, <laughs> that that all the all the main fans, you know, it, it's kind of like a thing where you, if you want to go read it, read it, you you have to work to get there. Yeah, that's what you, it was when we we used to host a local show on WISP. Tommy Conwell and I always used to joke that local bands would always spell their names like funny or incorrectly to make it as difficult as possible for people to find them on the internet. You know, like if they were called like if they were called like Light Rock, not that that would be a good name, but if they were called Light Rock, they would spell it L Y T E R O K. So if you heard them on the radio, you would never be able to find them as as hard as you looked. So that's, that's exactly what I'm trying to be. I'm trying. I'm trying to be. You know. The- and, and my occasional writing helps too. You know, I'm trying to be the, the replacements or something like that. You know, maybe once in a while something great happens. Well, I, I've got to tell you, and I, I don't mean to, um, and I'm, I'm not just saying this, and I'm not showering you with praise because you uh, you agreed to to come on the podcast early to talk about uh, LeBron and the NBA. Um, but I I really really am consistently blown away by by uh, your not your writing in general but most of what i read from you is is basketball by your your sixers writing and your basketball writing in general i mean i i i know it's it's high praise and you know i think we all pretty much consider that zach Lowe is unparalleled as far as that sort of stuff goes but um but i don't see anybody like doing it i don't see anybody doing it as well as zach but i also don't see anybody doing it like i don't read anybody do it as well as you do um, so you do it, you do a very good job and I always learn something new when I read what you write. Yeah, that, that stuff's, that stuff's a little easier to find. LibertyBallers.com. Uh, <laughs> that, that stuff. Um, yeah, well, thanks man. Um, you know, it's, I, I have fun writing over there for Liberty Ballers, Mike Levin, um, Derek Bodner's very good too. Uh, yeah. and I mean, you know, all, <laughs> all the guys that we have over there that, sort of fill, you know, different, I guess, niches, I guess, would be the way to put it, you know. It, it's very well-rounded. There there seems to be nobody, there, there isn't any, there isn't anybody in Liberty Ballers that sort of writes what somebody else would write. I almost feel like I could, yeah. I could read any one of your pieces and know who wrote it without reading the author, and that, I think that's a pretty important thing. And a pretty, uh, a pretty big accomplishment for a a blog of any sort, you know, I, I don't, yeah. I, I, especially for a really bad NBA franchise. Yes. Know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. For a team that nobody is essentially is even interested in talking about or reading about much less spending time writing about. So, um, well, hopefully that changes. Um, so, uh, so last night, um, I was sort of worried on some level, um, not worried, but I, I sort of had in the back of my mind, Hey, this could be a blowout. Um, I, I remember you remember that that Bulls I think Celtics series from a few years ago where every game was like oh, double right. overtime and triple overtime and the Bulls I think were five hundred that year. But then I I'm pretty sure that Game Seven was um less impressive than the rest of the series. And last night's game sort of felt like it ended up um ended up sort of like that. Yeah, you know it's funny. I brought that up last night. I was watching it. 
a few other people last night, and I said, you know what, before the game started, I said, you know, these games are typically not that good for, for two reasons. Uh, either one, and that, that Bull Celtics series came to mind where it was just a fantastic series the whole way through, but Game 7 just was a foul fest that it wasn't that close, and, you know, Boston kind of controlled it. Or it's close, but it's, like, really ugly. Like, I'm thinking, like, that Bulls-Lakers uh, Game 7 of the finals a couple years ago where it's close, but, like, the game's in, like, the 70s, and it's just, like, it's just horrible to watch for a little while. You don't usually get, you know, a good Game 7 after after such a well-played series. And, yeah, that's basically what happened last night. Um it uh it, it felt it felt interesting to me. I was thinking about it like when you look at like all of LeBron's career, you know, he's he's now two and two in game four. And he sorta of, I, I thought back, I looked at all of them, um he sorta of went like full circle. I think this is over a span of like eight years. But if you look at like the first one was in two thousand six and it was basically the opposite of last night. They lost to Detroit. And the score was like seventy something nine to sixty one, I think it was. And they just they just got killed, you know. It was basically the opposite of what happened last night. And then, um, oh, by the way, his guards in Cleveland. I looked at the box score. I'm looking at it right now. So um, bad. Do you want to try and name the starters? Well, I I remember I I'm I'm always obsessed with telling people how bad the team he took to the finals was. And I'm pretty sure it was Eric Snow and Larry Hughes. This yeah, this was a year before that. You okay. named, Eric Snow started, and Larry Hughes came off the bench. And there's two guys that other they played 25 minutes too. The other two guys are Flip Murray and Damon Jones. Okay? <laughs> that, was, that was their starting backcourt. And I add this up right now. They they shot four of 20 in that game seven, um, which I think is probably not too bad for them. Yeah, it's probably right about average. But Snow made a shot, which is. Pretty interesting at that point. Yeah, so like last night they, they got killed. Then you know one of the better uh, game sevens was the 2008 one against Boston, where LeBron and Pierce just did yeah. Pretty cool. And you know there's there's a game where LeBron played great and his team didn't necessarily play bad, but just you know Paul Pierce and Boston made you know pretty much every shot that mattered. I think LeBron had 45 and Pierce had 41 or something like that. In that game, if I remember correctly, that was a great game. Yeah. I never, I that was like I, that should be talked about. That was such a great game. And then last year, he kind of flipped the script on Boston. Last year, it was a, it was a good game. I think I remember game game seven of the Heat Celtics last year, where it was last year. That game was pretty well played too, and sort of they they came through. And now I feel like he's gone full circle, where now he's part of the the easy bad game, except he's on the winning side. You, you know, there's a, a a lot of things to talk about last night, but uh, it's good to obviously start off with the Le- LeBron thing. I was uh, I was talking to somebody this morning about James, and it, it's weird because I, I've I've liked him for so long, and it was it was the you know the game the the Detroit game where he scored 27 in a row or whatever he scored to to win that game that made me decide that I was going to cheer for the guy because I. I don't. I didn't think I had ever seen anything like that. And as I was watching it happen, I was like, "Well, he's there's no way he's going to let them lose." And there's a very there's a limited number of guys that can do that in the playoffs. So from that point, I always sort of cheered for him. And the more that people started hating him, it made me made my resolve to cheer for him that much more. The difficult thing is that it it makes you uh, on some level cheer for the Heat, which I I don't want to do. It's not that I have any problem with what they did, but like. I don't have any desire to to cheer for them, you know. I don't I don't particularly like Dwayne Wade or Chris Bosh. I don't dislike them, but they're just sort of there for me. But as I was I was talking about the game this morning, and so I always think there's this thing with the Heat, and it might just be left over. But when I'm watching them, I always feel like there's a certain bit of them that is fragile to me, that they are breakable mentally, that um, you know, that it can fall apart, that. That it's still, even through all their success, there's still a bit of it to me that is that is that is not quite as sturdy as I guess the even though they only won one championship that the Celtics teams of recent years that you know I didn't think the Celtics guys were going to start bickering at each other, ignoring each other on the bench, but these guys I could sort of imagine it happening. But as I was watching it last night, 
I realized that the the amount, and it was to your point about how LeBron has, how he's developed and how he's become the other side of that, is that he does not, a guy that all he got was the yips like the last couple of years, the last few years, and he wasn't always like that. You know, he wasn't like that against Detroit or Boston at one point or even Orlando when he had that incredible series and they still lost. But he became that guy that made you nervous because you could tell that he was nervous. But he's never nervous now. Like there is there is nothing on the court that he's doing, whether it succeeds or doesn't succeed, that he doesn't seem to me to be absolutely 100% sure of. You know, like he is he is complete. I, I think it was Bob Ryan that said it, that he he has sort of mastered the game. And that doesn't mean that he'll always be successful, but it means that, you know, he he controls the game at a level that very few have ever and will ever do. And it's just it's amazing to watch that when he's standing on the side now where it used to be that you thought that he was standing on the side because he didn't want any part of the ball. And I think to a large extent that was true when he's standing on the side, not involved in the play. Now he is doing that consciously as an effort to get other people more involved. You know, it's not his fear. It's, it's planned. And, and it, it's really amazing to watch somebody who had, who had a real problem with the moment a few years ago to be so in charge of the moment. And I didn't think that that meant that they were necessarily going to win last night because I really did think that if if Bosch and Wade didn't play well or at least play aggressively, you know, there was nothing that LeBron James they could still lose the game. He could go for forty five, ten and ten, and they could still lose the game. But it is amazing, sort of the mastery and control he has over the basketball game now. Yeah, like when you when you sort of think about like the improvements that he's made, it's all. It's all like his men- it's it's a lot it's a lot mental. It's hard to even explain. It's like he sort of he knows how to pick his spots. And even even last night, like like he, I read some of the stuff this morning. Like he um he 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 was the one running the plays last night. Like like early in the game when they were setting up Bosch and and Wade, it, it didn't really work. But I, I was stunned by that. That, that he's like. Like Spolster admits it too. He's like, that, that was him calling the plays. And I was like, what? Like, I, I, I didn't even know that they had. I mean, they should have that much trust in him. He's the best player. But sometimes that you're taken aback by how much control he actually does have over the game. Almost like Peyton Manning. Like you know that. Yeah. You know, you know that some yeah, quarterbacks. Yeah. You know, you think that Tom Brady can call plays, but he's not doing it like Peyton Manning's doing. That they just sort of hand it over and say. All right, you know, you figure out what's best, and even even to the extent of, and I, you know, it's it's partially just narrative, and you know, seeing one thing and having it stick. But I think it's partially real. Even in Game Five, where he is the one in the huddle screaming at everyone, you know that this the, these are the things that when even you know when he came to Miami, that people just generally expected would be Dwayne Wade doing that he has done. It's not just that he's clearly the best player on the court. It's that he is, you know, uh, almost like a head coach on the court and clearly keeping them together mentally. Even in the the post-game press conferences, he seems unflappable. Where when they lost to Dallas, he said the thing about, well, everybody has to go back to their their lives, you know, like I do. And I don't think he meant it quite as bad as it sounded, but it was still sort of passive-aggressive and and mopey. That... You know, you never really see that side of him anymore. Even when they lose and they look bad, you don't really see that side of him. And everybody sort of tried to take that Cleveland comment that he made the other night, um, I think a little out of the context that he meant it, um, you know, that I went back to my Cleveland days. I, I don't think he was m- meaning that in a mopey, I had to do everything myself. I think it, it was more in the, this is the sort of the offense we had to run because people didn't have it going. He seems very in control of everything he's doing. Um, and it's it's really pretty amazing to watch. Yeah, yeah. The Cleveland days thing, you know, I got a little tired of the like the overanalyzation of that because you know, just because he shoots doesn't mean like he's Kobe Bryant out there yeah. like, free people out of the offense. Like this is LeBron James. Like in Cleveland, he would pass the ball too. Like he's an unselfish player and. You know, you think about it. Just just two years ago, people are killing him for not taking any shots in the finals. Like, yeah, yeah. like this will—he will never like just just because you say it's the Cleveland offense 
does not mean that he's going to be like a selfish player or something like that. And, you know, you saw it last night. Part of the reason that he was taking a bunch of shots, and it seemed like it was because all of his passes that were good, you know, the guys were missing open shots. Like, yeah. like it, it was so weird. I mean, you know, you saw Ray Allen get hot last night, and you remember, like, oh, yeah, like, like he's he's on this team, and, like, he was doing this the whole season. Like, and there was, there was no reason why Ray Allen shouldn't have been shooting that well in the playoffs. Like, he's getting open looks. Like, Yeah, at least I, average. At least shoot 38 or 40% from three. He was he was somewhere around 20 before last night. Same thing with, with Battier, who they completely, you know, they completely got rid of for Miller. And, you know, the funny thing is, like, you know, Spolster's done this in the past, but, like, they've, they, they haven't had, like, a solid rotation, like, ever in the playoffs. Yeah. Even with their 66-win team, like, he's throwing Mike Miller, who barely played all year. Yeah. And playing, like, heavy minutes off the bench. And it works, just because LeBron is that good, and, you know, the foundation of their team, you know, is, as long as they defend, like, it, I, it, I, don't, I don't know how you beat them. Like, I don't... I, that Indiana, I mean, that... It, it'll be interesting going forward. That... They were such a tough matchup for them. Like the Roy Hibbert, uh, the Roy Hibbert card. I who who knew that he was going to be literally like maybe the best the best weapon to have against the Heat. Yeah, maybe in the league. I is he is he a top twenty player in the league just because of that? Well, I think it's hard to. Um, and I I, I don't want I wanted to actually ask you about the Heat's uh, defensive game plan from last night. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, about Hibbert, I have trouble deciding clearly Roy Hibbert and actually when you look at his splits from this year his last two months way better than uh the months before offensively defensively everything um so so yeah he was definitely he was definitely coming into this but I have trouble deciding just how good he is given that the physical advantage he had over the 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 heat like even so Mihimi is not a not a good player um, and he, you know, and he, and he was not, he was not particularly good this series. But one thing that I did notice is that when they, he wanted a shot, and when he wanted position, he never had any trouble getting it against the Heat. And the, the thing that the the reason I took note of that is that if he was any good, he'd be scoring too. So I sort of wonder um, how much, you know, if you have a matchup that you can exploit against the Heat like that during the season. You play them once, and then maybe you play them again in uh, three weeks, and you play them three times total, and the Heat still win two out of three, and everything seems fine, which is sort of like what even happened in this series, but it's not so pronounced because you're not seeing it every game. So I'm not exactly sure how good an offensive player Roy Hibbert is um, because I I also don't think they they played him right um, after the first couple series. But do you think he's he's? I mean, as far as top centers in the NBA, is he is he three? Is he you know Marcus All? Um, I I think Marcus All's better, but like I don't know. It's it's just it's funny. Like against Miami, I don't I don't know if there's a better rim protector. I, yeah. I couldn't believe. I, I mean, I, I watch him play a lot. Obviously, you you know you have. <laughs> You watch a lot of league pass games and stuff like that too, but I, I I was just blown away with the fact that like LeBron like legit couldn't score him at the rim. No. That was unbelievable. They like, they would get into the rim with the ball, and you would literally watch them go, "Oh no, he's here!" and pass it out for a worse shot because they didn't want any part of him. You know what drives me crazy about that to the, the NBA? Um, the, the one the one rule in the NBA that, that I wish they they were able to better enforce the, the defensive three seconds is crazy like like it's just if you want to watch it yes and I, not to say that Roy Hibbert like I mean I, I I'll say it he gets away with it a ton like, he has to because if Chris Bosh isn't anywhere near him if Chris Bosh is standing out on the perimeter how is Roy Hibbert able to protect the rim like that and not have defensive three seconds I don't I don't understand just. When you think about it logically, I don't know how he could be down there. They they had a play where last night where Miami kept running these great driving kicks and kept getting in the lane and it looked really good and every time they would run into Hibbert and like after five seconds it like 
they, they had a shot clock violation. I remember Wade couldn't even get a shot off, but I was thinking like he's he's been in the way the whole time. Like he's yeah. just yeah. like and they don't they don't care. But yeah, I guess that would be different. But it, it's funny that when you watch um when you watch there was a game on the other day, they had they had one of the Iverson games on during the Iverson round, like the two thousand one rounds. Um the way like defense was called back then Roy Hibbert, like, wouldn't be that good of a player, you know, with the way illegal defense was. Oh, yeah. Guy. It's, it's like watching a different sport. Like, they, they used to just isolate Iverson on the left side, and he used to just, like, he used to be cleared out. Like, he would have he would have three steps to the rim before anybody could even think about helping, which is just pretty crazy now, because today I think they just, they just put Roy Hibbert on the other side of the lane and, you know, make... Uh, Tyrone Hill making a 15-foot jumper. Well, and that's the one, that's the part where Hibbert's sort of lack of athleticism would have come back to haunt him, where back then a guy like Mutombo, who was fast and sort of rangy and um, and athletic, I think could um, could make up that ground in, in a quicker amount of time. Hibbert is still very, like, he's still, he's better than he was. He's in much better shape and much quicker uh, and much more agile than he was, but he's still... Um, a slow sort of plotting uh, defensive center, and there's yeah, there, there's no way he would have been able to to get to the rim to help in time. I guess at at that time, um, Every, everyone makes the joke about how um, you know, or, or I wouldn't say it's a joke, but they say that Greg Popovich should win, you know, best coach every year, just just because people get bored, sort of a la Jordan with the MVP in the '90s. I think Roy Hibbert should win most improved every year. I, that, <laughs> When he when he was at Georgetown, I like that guy couldn't move, and, and he still he still falls over, and he's still a little goofy. It's unbelievable how far he's come. He made a, a drop step move last night that like I he wouldn't have even attempted like two years ago. It was it's unbelievable, and I you know credit that guy. It's it's too bad that he had those comments that sort of took away from yeah. kind of a breakout a breakout series from him. Um, well, and you know, with the with the internet now, it's hard to have. It is hard to have reasonable perspective on anything like that. Like I just, I wanted to tell people, it's like, yes, that is clearly not no okay, okay thing to say. It is like he is wrong. It's a you know, it's thing something that should have been out of the vernacular. But I also don't believe that Roy Hibbert is like is a gay hater. And I, like I also, you know what I mean? Like the, the no, not at all. yeah, yeah. The, the middle ground on it is so hard to. It's so hard to, because. By by supporting by giving any credence to one side, you're all of a sudden supporting it wholeheartedly. You know, if I don't want to kill Roy Hibbert for saying no homo, then clearly, um, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a homophobe, which which I don't think I am. So um, it was it, it was unfortunate, and I think it's also funny that him. It is so funny the narrative that people create for different people based on the same action is that him not shaking hands with people. So all I ever hear is how people don't want NBA players to be friendly with each other anymore. You know how they they want them to have rivalries and hate each other, and all of a sudden the guy gets pissed off because he lost and leaves the floor, and people are complaining they didn't shake hands. Like, who, you know, who cares? Yeah, uh, the funny part about this comment, the big thing that I didn't understand was he was so mad after they played a great game. <laughs> like, yeah. Like he was real calm after Vogel took him out at the end of Game One, and he was answering Twitter questions and stuff like that. And after Game Six, he just decided to blow up like right before when they probably played their best game of the series. They yeah, were tremendous. Maybe. <laughs> he was too. I going forward, it'll be interesting. Like I, I think next year if they can, uh, you know, if they can incorporate Granger, they should be they should be pretty interesting. Um, as, as a playoff team, as long as they'll be a top, you know, they can stay healthy during the regular season. They And maybe if they resign West, that's a big deal, too. But that'll be interesting. Like, if they play the Heat next year and they, you know, they bolster their bench a little bit, like, I could see them being favored in a series against the Heat next year. Well, especially because I was hearing Steve Kerr say that, that Steve Kerr actually said, regardless of whether the Heat win or not this year, he thinks it the road to them getting back to the finals next year is mostly difficult because getting to the finals four years in a row is like you know nearly impossible. And he said that if if they if when he three peated with the Bulls, if they had gone for it for a fourth year, 
that he doesn't think he said they were running on fumes by the end of the third one. Um, so he, you know he doesn't he didn't think that that he he says that the Heat no matter what happened next year he thinks is are going to have a, a tougher road even if the other teams didn't improve and then of course Derrick Rose is going to be back. Um, Granger yeah. and you know the Pacers backcourt is so bad I mean without I, I don't I don't care you know somebody was saying to me last night well you know if Granger's at three I don't know I care, I don't, does Paul George play two it's like who cares you know at some point having Granger in there rather than Lance Stevenson I don't care who they're matched up with they're both athletic defenders who can sort of match up with whoever you need them to match up with um, you know having a, sh- a guy who can hit a shot out there um, and can handle the ball in Granger uh, is, is going to be an improvement. I don't care where you play him. I don't care what position, what made-up position as a wing player you're telling me he's playing. He, he's got to be able to play one of those positions. Yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting. The, uh, yeah, when, when he didn't shake hands, I, I read I read the, the blog comments. He said, um, he said something about like he, he respected them. He just didn't know anybody on the Heat. <laughs> That's what that's what he said, which I I don't really buy, but that's fine. Like I don't, yeah. I don't know anyone. David, I think I think David West. I don't think he even tried to say. He was just like, yeah, I, I just didn't want to shake hands with them or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. It was funny seeing LeBron kind of you know taking Stevenson under his wing <laughs> afterwards. You know, last year he said, "Who's Lance Stevenson?" Basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now he's like, you know, it seemed like he was encouraging him, telling him he did a pretty good job, which honestly he did. But yeah, it was, you know, LeBron had that moment with Paul George earlier in the series too, when George dunked on Bosch, and then LeBron came down and hit that three, and uh, LeBron went and grabbed him after the quarter to, you know, sort of shake his hand and you know give him a a good one, young fella type of thing. He even did it again when. when when George dunked on Bosch and then LeBron just came down immediately and hit a three and killed the crowd and he went yeah. you know, he was talking to George on the way back but it seemed like a that's going to be a, a pretty cool rivalry um, specifically because they're you know similar games you know obviously George is, is not nearly what LeBron's is um, LeBron's more of a distributor but the similar size both really good they'll be matched up on each other a lot um, so let, can I ask you a strategy question about last night yeah. Um, you know, typically I always think uh, NBA coaches, even the bad ones, are a lot smarter than me. It's very easy to sit at home and sort of say, well, they should do this and not understand why it doesn't happen. But um, I think three games ago, I'm watching Hibbert kill them, and I just said, I get the sense that, you know, first of all, Indiana's prone to turnovers anyway. Paul George is sort of a, a you know, that's a, a weakness he has. But Hibbert, I got the, the sense, all I kept thinking was, there is no way that Roy Hibbert is is handling a real hard double team very well. Like he just he doesn't seem like he's going to do that, and and you at least got to try it. And I don't think it was until the end. I don't even think it was until game six that they even tried it. And then finally uh, in game seven, you know, they, not only were they doubling Hibbert, uh, they were they were they were uh, they were pressing the pick and roll. They were doubling the 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 ball handler on the pick and roll almost every time. Um, and sort of creating that havoc. And for a team that, you know, if they're going to get out-rebounded like they are, and that's sort of something you give up by playing small, you make up for that by getting extra possessions by causing turnovers. And it just seemed like for so long they were not trying to do that, and I couldn't figure out why it was taking them so long. Is that something reasonable to think that they should have done, even not even thinking about last night? Was that something you had thought about um, in the series up until that point? Yeah, they well, they definitely had nobody who could guard Hibbert, which was interesting because I I I wasn't sure if he could score at like a real consistent rate um, in the post, just because he's he's as you said earlier, like he he wasn't very good earlier in the year, and he's not the strongest guy ever, and you know I maybe you know Spolstra would be thinking too, like you know we'll live with his hook shots, you know he might make them, but that's not the worst thing we can give up. But yeah, you're right. Like he was scoring on Birdman like very, very easily, yeah. and and they started. You're right. They did. They started doubling in Game Six, and they kind of had mixed success. They turned him over a little bit, but I also remember uh, Paul George had a big three because they didn't rotate off of uh, off of Hibbert. Hibbert was able to kick it out of a double team. Was that um, when they were making their run in Game Six, yeah. sort of the run killer three at the top there? And Part of the problem with that was too is 
they had a they had a funky lineup man. they had like Ray Allen had to make like the key rotation like and, and that's just not going to happen dude he's the worst perimeter defender I've ever seen at this point in his career I don't think I've ever seen anybody worse ever no and and it's been on display for two years during that during that Sixers series last year he was just I mean anytime they got a switch on 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 like holiday on him they just uh, he just killed him. Like, like you could tell Collins was like literally pointing at him. Like, Dude, just go. He's, he's not going to stop you. Um, he's bad. He, but the funny part about it, you're right. He is bad perimeter defense. Paul George did a horrible job scoring against. Him. Yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't understand it. They they were like, he like was trying to like post them up when really like just, just take them outside. And, you know, take them off the dribble or whatever. Yeah, but he had to make the key rotation. I, I agree with you. Like with their starting lineup, though, you know, which is pretty athletic. You know, it's Bosch at the five, and and Haslam's a good rotator, and of course you have LeBron. It, it's something they probably should have done earlier. But last night they just they, they didn't even let the Pacers get it down low. You know, yeah, they they're so aggressive with their pick and roll defense. They just I, I, the term for it is blitzing. It's, they, they double it just like crazy, and make Hibbert you know make a play with it. Uh, at the foul line, but they just like last night they just kept making plays. Even bad defensive players like Mike Miller, they sort of make those those Andre Miller defensive plays where he's not a good defender, but they'll anticipate it. They'll rip the ball from someone. Yep. You know, it's some you know when you strip it, when you strip it, when you reach the right way, and you know you, you strip a guy going to the rim. It seemed like they made a bunch of those last night, and and part of that was just Indiana was due to have a bad game. Um, offensively, they, yeah. they they had just been scoring at just such a such a crazy rate, and part of it was their their huge size of this match, which made it sustainable. But you know, it felt like in Game Seven, I, I thought that was more than more than the offense. I thought that was the big deal. You know, that they that he really ratcheted up their defense and just said, um, you know, it's going to be hard. We're going to push you out. We're going to make you take tough jumpers. That's what they did. Yeah, and it's, you know, Indiana, it, it, it is amazing how they scored with, with just so few good offensive players, you know? I mean, they, they, yeah. they're a team that only has, like, six legitimate players who you want playing meaningful minutes in— I'd, uh, argue, I'd argue five. Yeah, maybe in five. Yeah, I guess if Sam Young is the first guy off the bench. Um, Sam Young, yeah, Young airballed a corner three last night, which led to that— uh, yeah. LeBron dunk and transition. It wasn't even a turnover. He just airballed it. It was just like, yeah, he'd been playing great all series, but it's Sam Young. Like, yeah, it, DJ Augustine. Like, yeah, you're, you're right. And, you know, of those, you know, and Stevenson is such a, a hit or miss and mostly miss um, yep. sort of guy. Um, it's just, you know, it, it's fine if you're Nate Robinson and it works half the time, but when it, it only works two out of ten times, <laughs> it's, there's it's it's you're not an X factor anymore. You're just you know you're just an X. That's all you are. You're just yeah, you're just a missed shot. Um, so so let me ask you. Uh, well, you know, one more thing about LeBron uh, and the the big three thing. Um, I noticed you you mentioned it. It's a shame because Brian Windhorst is so. Uh, has so many followers now is that like you can't even really talk to him on Twitter. Like he writes something interesting and I've said stuff back to him, but you know, a guy like that is not going to see your reply. But I, I noticed that you're, no. he, he wrote that thing about LeBron needing to trust in the, um, in the big three and sort of not, um, you know, deviating from that path. And your response, which was obviously true, was not that he was doing it by choice. It's because the other guys weren't participating. I think the, the larger point was that, even if he had done that one by himself and gotten through it by himself out of necessity, that there was probably no way they're going to beat the Spurs that way. I, like I sort of got the sense that Windhorst's Windhorst's sense was, "Hey, you got to do this if this is going to work." You know, it's like I know you're tempted to do this by yourself, but even it, it, it might even be better to fail letting you know, trying it this way than to fail, you know what I mean, than to try to save it the other way, um, was yeah. sort of the sense I got from him. I, I think my biggest problem is that the implication that LeBron wouldn't let them try. Right, know? right, right. Well, that was the crazy thing from Wade, that we need more shots. Like, bro, you get the oh. ball whenever you want, you know? Dude, the 
aggressive, you know? Yeah. Like, what, like, last night, like, what, he's doing, he was just in the lane. Like, look at his shot chart. Like, I, I, I forgot that Dwayne Wade knew where the, the paint was. Like, yeah. Even, even Bosch last night, he wasn't even that good, but he got a bunch of shots. Yeah, at least um, he was trying. Just, just try. He's not like LeBron is not going to like dribble for for twenty twenty seconds. Like the thing is, like Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, like you can't expect LeBron James to like spoon feed you guys. Yeah, you know? like yeah. you guys are not like spot up shooters that can run off screens like Ray Allen and stuff like 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 at some point like you have to make it happen for yourself. And then they did. Wade did last night to his credit. You know, he finally finally decided to start. I don't want to say trying, but yeah. it, it looked like it. Yeah, there was a couple of games where he was asleep this series. Um, well, he got a shot of something. <laughs> There's no way, man. I mean, he got a. It must. It, I think Dwayne Wade's a competitor. So as many times as I wanted, it clearly looked like he wasn't involved and looked like he wasn't trying. I'm going to go ahead and give him the benefit of the doubt and say it had to be a physical thing. That was making yeah. me, maybe making him feel that way, but whatever the physical thing was was gone last night. Yeah, the um, it was funny too. I you see them after they made big shots too. They kind of they kind of set up the finals perfectly when with Wade and Bosch. I mean, it's funny that Bosch did that after he shot three of thirteen, but you know, after he made his threes, yeah, best, and he's, he's taking his mouthpiece out. He's you know he's waving his hands to the crowd and stuff like that. Same thing with Wade. He's strutting, about, he's strutting after baskets and stuff like that. That's the best part about it. I thought that perfectly set up the finals. Yeah. That it completely, you know, this flashy, you know, emotional kind of, uh, say, douchey team. I, I'll say that. Um, against, you know, the stone face, you know, Greg Popovich and all business spurs. I, I thought that's perfect, you know. Just out of like central casting, basically. I love the uh, I love the image of of the no nonsense straight face stone face Spurs, except for when Tony Parker is having very public divorces with Eva Longoria from Desperate Housewives. It's yeah. it's such a funny like bump in the road of all that they are. Is oh yeah, by the way, when Tony Parker got caught cheating on Eva Longoria, of all people, you know, um, right. a, a person that's on a housewife show, not a real housewife show, but still. Uh, but you're right. I mean, the the images of Dwayne Wade sort of given the, you know, the, yeah, I had it the whole time, swag strut down the court, and uh, Bosch screaming, you know, will be uh, will be set up in video um, perfectly against the the, the stoic, uh, you know, Tim Duncan. Yeah, the, the one last stand of Tim Duncan versus the, um, the, uh, the, the braggadocious Miami Heat. Um, and it, you know what, even anybody that was cheering for the Pacers that, that isn't a, um, a huge NBA fan or isn't a Pacers fan, you know, they'll tell you that they wanted the Pacers to win, but in reality, they have another opportunity to cheer against the heat. And, and there is, I would have watched the NBA finals because that's what I do. I watch the NBA and I'm always sad when it ends anyway, but, um, even as an NBA guy, um, the the Spurs Pacers final to me seemed like it was going to be tedious, and I honestly think the Spurs, the Spurs would have killed them, um, especially with what the Heat series would have taken out of Indiana. Um, you know, I, I'm very happy that it's Spurs Heat because uh, I, I I buy into that narrative and that exciting you know matchup of you know what seems like even though the Heat are old, it doesn't feel like they're old. You know, it feels like they're. Um, yeah. Like they're Hollywood, and you know it. It definitely seems like a matchup like that. So that, let me ask you the um, so that um, when they're blitzing those pick and rolls, that's sort of something that you feel like I would guess that Tony Parker is such a master of pick and roll, and that is you know I, I would say that the very best part of his game. How do they? How do you go about handling that if you're Miami? Do you do you really try to do you? you blitz him even harder and try to prevent him from making that pass or prevent him from getting to the basket? Or do you try to play it straight and do a lot of switching? And, you know, what, what do you do to defend him? Um, yeah, I, I was thinking about that last night. Uh, if, if you blitz him, which it, it seems like they're, they're pretty consistent with that. They, they sort of, that, that's the way they play. It's, I think Spolster's made that pretty clear that they, they like to be aggressive and, you know, it, even if even if they give up, um, 
even if the guy slips and gets the ball, then it's not a horrible thing, even if they have less guys in the paint when they have guys like LeBron James and Dwayne Wade rotating and stuff like that. Um, it, it'll be interesting. Like, Hibbert made some plays. You know, the big thing that happens with that, if if they want it, is that the uh, the big guy slips and it's basically four on three with him handling the ball, you know, because the two guys trap the ball handler. And then it's four on three with the big guy kind of making decisions with the rest of the players. Right. Hibbert had some actually decent success because for some reason he was he was making jumpers and he was dribbling it. If Hibbert had some success, I'd be pretty interested to see Tim Duncan against that, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't... It's it's not only Tim Duncan too. You're playing four on three against Tim Duncan, who could shoot, and who's you know best power forward maybe of all time. But you also have you know better spacing. They have they have two guys in the corner who will make threes. You know they'll have they'll have Splitter who if you leave him they'll be able to dunk it. The, the Pacers really you, know, you could leave Lance Stevenson, but you can't leave Danny Green. Like that's just that's a no no and. You know, they still might not care just because you, know, you get the ball out of Tony Parker's hand. That's, that's a big deal. I, I do. So th- be, I think that'll be interesting. I think that'll be that'll probably be the the biggest thing to start the series to see how they both handle that. It is, uh, you know, that the team that gave the Spurs the most trouble in the playoffs was Golden State, um, and I think they they had trouble keeping up. And when the the you know, and clearly Steph Curry was going through some sort of, um, you know. Uh, he was on a run like you don't see too often, but all that three point shooting, it seemed like you know the that's where the Spurs' age sort of uh, caught up with them, and I felt like they had they had trouble keeping up, you know, um, and chasing chasing down all those guys. And it was interesting to see Miami, most notably Ray Allen and uh, and Shane Battier, struggle shooting until Allen in, in Game Seven, and uh, and whether it's. Um, whether whether if that comes back, if that ends up being trouble for the Spurs defensively, who have been much better defensively this year than they were the last couple of years, but um, yep. but but still, you know, their whole Tony Parker's not they play good team defense, but Tony Parker's not a good defender. Um, you know, I I think they'll there there are, there are ways to to beat the Spurs and things to exploit there. It'll it'll definitely be an interesting chess match. I think. I think it's a better matchup for Miami, like than than Indiana was. I think the Spurs are, are definitely a better team. Like, yeah, you're right. I think they would have beaten Indiana in five, which, I don't know, kind of, thank God that isn't the finals. Oh, um, yeah. Like, hey, you know, I would have watched it and I'd love it too, but people, people acting like, like this isn't preferable. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> preferable alternative. I mean, it, it's just, yeah, it, it would not have been fun. If, if, it, it just would have been boring, I think. But you know now, and now the the best part about it is the Spurs swing from kind of not a boring team, but a not a lot of personality on that team. And now they swing into this, you know, it's this great legacy matchup now with them against the Heat. It's this great, you know, there's so much historical significance with this series with Tim Duncan and uh, and LeBron. You know, the funny thing is, do you, do you, have you ever seen the video of him after the 2007 Finals with LeBron? Oh yeah, telling him that like the the the, the league will be his soon and and all that yep. stuff. Yeah, it's uh, either that's gonna that's gonna prove true in a way that he's not gonna like, or, or there's gonna be a video after this one. Yeah, or he's gonna be like awkward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I you know it's funny that I was living in Chicago when that finals happened, and. Uh, I all I wanted to do, and I still haven't seen one. All I wanted to do was see a LeBron playoff game, so I wanted to get tickets to a finals game, and I was going to drive to Cleveland uh, to go. You know, it's probably like an eight-hour drive, uh, seven, eight-hour drive. I wanted to drive to Cleveland from Chicago to see a Spurs Pacers, a uh, Spurs uh, Cavs NBA finals game. So who do I think can help me get my t- get tickets? Of course, my dad. So I call my dad, and I'm like, "Hey, can you help me?" buy NBA Finals tickets. I was like, I don't want freebies, but I just, I don't want to buy them on, you know, from a secondary broker. I, I just want to pay face or something. And, f- you know, face for NBA Finals tickets still like would have cost me $500 for a pair of tickets. So he's like, I got them for you. Call this guy. You can buy tickets for game five. It's like, awesome. I have tickets for game five. <laughs> yep. So 
They lose game one. I'm like, well, it's in San Antonio, whatever. They lose game two. I'm like, oh, well, I don't like that. And then I remember before game three, I remember talking to my dad, go, Cleveland's going to win game three, right? I mean, they, they got to win one. He goes, yeah, they'll win one game. It'll be game three. They lose game three, and I was just brokenhearted. I was like, I know this is not going to happen. I know I'm not going to this game. Um, and, of course, I didn't. I didn't get to go to game five and because uh, there was no game five. But um, And still have not seen LeBron. But I remember that series very well. And, you know, that it was clear, you know, LeBron. You know, people people talk about LeBron not winning a championship with Cleveland. What they ignore a, a lot of times is how outstanding those teams were only because of him, uh, almost solely because of him. You know, he, he made Mo Williams an all-star, and Mo Williams is not an all-star. Um, and th- th- those teams, even the last team he was on with Jameson and uh, like an over-the-hill Shaquille O'Neal was not a, a particularly talented team. Um and that was, you know, that year was sort of indicative of that. So it would be sort of interesting to see his first finals, him losing to the Spurs, and then, you know, not just you're right, not just the Hollywood team versus the Stoic team, but the you know the team that LeBron James lost to in his first trip to the finals, um, and you know maybe uh, maybe Tim Duncan's last trip to the finals. I mean, there are a million storylines which make it's not just great basketball that you want to see. You want those storylines. That's what makes it more interesting than a, a video game or a, a computer program, you know? Those storylines are what really makes sports, I think, interesting to people. I mean, especially the NBA, too, with you know how prominent uh, singular personalities are. You know, it's not football where you can, you see these guys' faces all the time. Yeah. And they're marketable and stuff like that. First off, I've never seen somebody who, who was so disappointed not to go to Cleveland. Um that they weren't going to Cleveland before than you. <laughs> yeah, I, that, that's impressive. The uh, my friends from Cleveland, it's it's pretty miserable um, there apparently, from what he says. Yeah, but, you know he, he was great. Those teams were those teams were bad. Booby Gibson, you uh, know, oh yeah, um, was a good player. I, I mean, the funny part is that they, I mean, there's they're still, you know, they. Everybody thinks they're in such a good position to land him, which they might be. Um, Kyrie Irving's very good uh, as a player, but you know they're they're, they're celebrating they're celebrating lotteries like now, you know. Yeah. And he he just he, he meant everything to them. And first first off, I, I I not getting too far ahead of it, but I I would be pretty pretty excited if he went back there. To be honest with you. Um, I would love to see video of people who burned his jersey at the parade. Oh. That's what... oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. That, maybe maybe putting it back together or something like that. You know, like like wearing a burnt jersey or something like that. Maybe they can have an alternate jersey, like a like a, a black jersey that was burnt. They had it back there. I have a I, I'm a I'm friendly with uh, Scott Rabb, who wrote Horror of Akron, who uh, you know is a conflicted Cavs fan. Um, and you know, he hates him. He hates him. And that's, it's actually how I got to know him is that he used to just be vile about LeBron on Twitter. And I would just, I would rip him for it. This is when I was unemployed. And he finally, like, he just answered me over DM one day and he was like, like, I forget what he said, but then he ended up coming on my podcast when the, uh, when the book came out and then he's on IP now and I see him pretty regularly. He took a shot at me the other night. I was making, when Cleveland won the lottery, um, my joke on Twitter was the first question they should ask Nerlens Noel is uh, is where he's going to sign after his first Cleveland contract is over, um, <laughs> and he he got really mad at me. He was like, "That's an easy joke." He's like, "But it's the you know it's the it's the truth." But I would love to hear from that is one guy I'd love to hear from if LeBron went back is is Scott you know obviously and you know I understand even though some of their feelings in Cleveland were you know over over the line of what I think you should feel for a stranger who didn't kill anyone or, or rape anyone or, you know, but I certainly understand living here in Philadelphia, how people oh, are. I understood absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. But they haven't, they haven't won anything in forever too. Yeah. Like, like they just like, they, they have not won anything in 50 years. Like they just want one of something. It's basically like 2007 here. It's been like that for, for a decade. They, they, they had their parts publicly ripped out on television. Um, yeah, I think that's the other interesting thing about the finals too. Like, do you think like LeBron could three peat and not want to go back there? You know, 
Oh, you not want to go back to Miami? Oh, yeah. Well, that's yeah. That's the really interesting thing is that you don't. He can't leave after a championship. You know, he can't. No. Yeah. That we can't. But like, then again, like, like if they win this one, like, I, I, I just don't know how how reliable it'll be next year. It, it might be in his best interest to lose next year. If they win. I, I actually yeah. think they're gonna. I, I think, I think they're gonna win in six. I just don't think they're a good matchup for for San Antonio. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I I I think they're going to win too. I mean, I I like I just keep going back to the fact. Here's here's two reasons why, and these these aren't aren't exactly why I think I, I do think that the Spurs are a better matchup than Indiana was. I think a lot of championship teams end up facing an Indiana in the playoffs that takes them a little longer than everybody thought. You know, um, you know the Lakers when they they almost lost to the Trailblazers that year. If it wasn't for some miraculous comeback in the seventh game. Yep. Um, the Celtics, who could have lost to the Bulls very easily um, when they won the championship, you know, and even um, yep. you know there there are teams go through. Even the Bulls occasionally met up with a team that just didn't that you know you know and these the Pacers ninety eight yeah these are these are really the Pacers were the they were the best defensive team in basketball by far um, and the third best had the th- this is not this is not an embarrassing team to go seven games with. So I think what sort of starts to happen is, is that we were so amazed that somebody took them to seven games that we sort of forget why we're amazed that somebody took them to seven games. And it's because they're so good, you know, and it, it doesn't mean that they're not as good as we thought. Maybe it does a little bit, but like, I think more than anything, it's, it's a, a positive thing about Indiana and and it leads us to forget sometimes that the Heat won 27 straight games this year and 66 overall. And while that doesn't give them the championship, it certainly puts them at an elite. And they have won a championship, even though they haven't won this year. So it's, I'm not talking about the Mavs from uh, you know a bunch of years ago when they lost to uh, Golden State. You know, I'm not talking about a team that hasn't won anything yet. This is a championship caliber team who has won 27 games in a row, 66 games during the year, and I think we've forgotten just how good they are. Um, and people, by the way, people who were complaining about the ref assignment yesterday with Scott Foster, they said like the Heat were 12 and one in his last like 13 games with them or whatever. If there's a guy who has a record that's lower than like a 700 winning percentage. With, with the, the heat. heat, yeah. <laughs> like, like I, I'm assuming that he's just actively betting against them. Like, yeah. I, what do you mean? It's, it's 66 games. Of course, there's going to be somebody who's 12 and one. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, you know, it was a point that you know Zach Lowe kept making the point when he was picking Indiana or when he was picking Miami, even at the beginning of the series. He's like, "Look, this team is 46 and three in their last 49 games." You know, I can't reasonably pick another. T- even if the matchups don't work, it's hard for me to reasonably pick another team to win four out of seven games when they've only lost three out of the last forty-nine. You know, it just doesn't. It doesn't. Even though they're playing a lot of donkeys in that in that in those forty-nine games, they're still winning those games. So, um, and I think um, I think all uh, the the team that has LeBron James, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to be. It's you're gonna have to really talk me into another team beating that team four out of seven times. I think is yeah. what it comes down to, and I I don't think I think the key for in the San Antonio matchup is less about Hibbert not being there because Tim Duncan is different than Hibbert, but every bit is good, you know. Um, and and Chris Bosh is going to have the same amount of trouble guarding Duncan, maybe a little less, but. I think the biggest difference is that you don't need um, Shane Battier bodying up David West. And I know Tiago Splitter is a nice player, um, but he is not the physical post presence that David West is. And and the advantage here is that you went from Shane Battier from being a 30-minute-a-game guy um, who causes a little bit of havoc on defense and hits open threes to playing zero minutes in Game 7. And if you can have at least half of that back, um, and you don't have to take LeBron and put him on David West half the time, which was you could tell was get, that takes a lot of effort, was gassing LeBron. And I don't think there's anybody on the Spurs that's going to gas LeBron on the defensive end. I just don't think 
He's going to have to work nearly as hard. He's not going to have to spend those minutes. So I think you get Battier back to a certain extent. You get, um, you know, you get Wade back to a certain extent. And you get you get even as good as LeBron James was. I think you can see an even better LeBron James against the Spurs than you saw against the Pacers because you have to worry about him working hard less on defense. So, um, you know, I I think I I think uh, Heat in six is a a pretty safe safe pick. And I'm sure we'll all forget that we said Heat in six when it's one one. Um, and they've lost a game, and we're like, are they in trouble? Well, we've already yeah. said that they're going to lose two <laughs> games, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, I think Heat and Six is a, a probably a fair thing. I would love for it to go seven games. You know, I want as many games as possible. Uh, but I think it'll be a, a fun series to watch. Totally. And you don't have to have a rooting interest at this point, you know? No. Like, like it, it just, it's all about getting the good finals matchup, and then it doesn't matter. Yeah, you're right about David West, too. I think, would you, I was having this argument with people, um, Little stupid argument. Um, if if you're in like an alley, like like not that big of an alley, and and there's there's two NBA players, right, and they're just fighting. Mm-hmm. I think David West would beat every other NBA player in that fight. Like I, I really, and he plays like that too. Like he hurts. Yeah. Um, I I seriously, somebody was asking like, because I love just just having just putting athletes in just fights, <laughs> hypothetical fights where where they fight each other. I, I seriously think he would, you know, he'd kick everybody's ass in the NBA. I, there's like like two or three guys, maybe like maybe our test or somebody. But yeah, going from that to Splitter, who, you know, he's very good, but he's not. He doesn't. It doesn't hurt to guard him as much. Yeah, and even Kawhi Leonard, who's who is who has become a really good player, and who James might find himself on, is not a guy that I think LeBron. He might have to chase him around a little bit and make sure he doesn't, you know, leave him in the corner open. But I'm not worried about LeBron James one on one on on Kawhi Leonard. You know, I'm just I'm not I'm not. I think he can hide. I think LeBron can hide uh, a little bit and sort of conserve energy. It's a good point about David West. Uh, hilariously enough, I think the guy that I would bring up, like Udonis Haslam, is not a guy I want to fight. You know, no. like, like you know, so he's. He's similar to Haslam in that, but he seems like he has like brute sort of football strength that Haslam does not have. Haslam's um, also a guy too. Like, like I would back him. Like, if you told me that you could call two two friends to to join you in the yeah, fight, yeah. I think Haslam would probably have two of the best you know friends. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he's like Miami's like. Uh, you know, he's kind of like eh, they said. If, somebody said the other night on Twitter, if uh, if West would have hit Haslam, he wouldn't have made it out of Miami alive. Yeah, <laughs> from there, and he's and he's the one guy that you know that, that people would take exception to. From, yeah, Haslam from, doesn't uh, doesn't worry about fist. Fu- he doesn't worry about fist fights in the alley because a no. it's never one on one, and b it's never with a fist. <laughs> yeah. And the best part about Haslam is we're saying this, and he's definitely that tough, but he's also probably one of the. The best community guy in the NBA. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm sure. He's after, he's after he's after the game. He's doing a smiling interview. Yeah, but if, if it got nasty, I Haslam is definitely in the you know at least the top five percentile. Um, one, one quick thing I want to say before you know to make sure we get out there. I, I don't like talking about the refs too much. I don't. If Joey Crawford refs a game in this finals, which he's definitely going to. It's going to drive me crazy. You're just sitting around waiting for it. That that's the worst part is that you know he'll ref a game and while you're watching the game, you know you're waiting for egregious calls. I just I, I can't how can how like I know he's got tenure and you know, I'm sure that you know, unions are tough, but like you, you don't have to assign him to finals games. You don't you know what I mean? No. Like you don't have to assign him to playoff games. That's not in the rules anywhere, I don't think. That if you've been around for so long you have to be assigned to important games. Um I think it's imp- it's important that they don't do that. But let's not forget too. Like you're right. Like, like first of all, his playoff like performance like does not merit a finals. That's that's one, and that's the most important thing. But but two, like he he's got history with the San Antonio Spurs. Um, that's ugly. They don't like him. Yeah. Uh, Tim Duncan doesn't like him, and it's it's bizarre. And it's weird, and he should not be allowed to ref their finals games. Like, like I think that more than anything. Like, I, I just don't want every time he makes a call, 
people wondering what's going on in his head. Oh, is he overcompensating for you know this perceived lack of the perceived lack of integrity he has in repping Spurs game, or does he still hate them, or you know whatever? I just don't want to deal with that because it's too easy enough to scrutinize NBA officials already, and you know, boy, do they deserve it most of the time. But I that, that'll be crazy. Yeah, I. I wonder if he gets two games, to be honest. Wow. That that would drive me crazy if he got, like, game one and game six. That would just – that would floor me. That would, I, I'd really be angry. All <laughs> I want for the NBA Finals, and actually for any game ever, is for – I just want the outcome of the game to be the outcome of the game because those players decided the outcome of the game. That's all. Like, I, I just don't want to be talking about – look, I you know – it's cre- it's funny because I almost support I wish we didn't see as many replays and I wish there was less replay in sports because I feel like I feel like the middle ground is the biggest problem because if you're correcting one thing like to me it's like we can tell what balls and strikes are with a computer you know like what if if we're not allowing them to make certain calls why are we why are we allowing them to invent the strike zone differently every single game it just doesn't make any sense to me so if so, to me, the the biggest problem is not that they screw up calls because they do. The biggest problem is that we're able to see them screw up calls like we never have before. Um, so you know, I almost wish we didn't see the replays, and because it, you know, slow motion gives you this false sense of how easy it is to be an official, you know, or or see how quickly somebody could have done something, um, or you know, or see anything. So I wish that was almost gone. But at the end of the day. I just want – I don't want there to be any controversy about how games end as far as the officials or what call should have been made or I just – just just you know what I mean? Like, and, and the problem with Joey Crawford is that even if he doesn't blow any calls egregiously is that you're right. You're going to have that question you know, about whether the game was decided by the players and the players alone. Um, and that's – to me, that's the biggest problem with it. Here's, here's my question about refs. I – I don't understand why does the NBA need to switch? They have like I don't know the exact number, but don't they have like nine or twelve or fifteen some number of reps of a pool that they use for the finals? Like, can't you get like like five guys, you know, and just just have guys that just consistently like yeah. you know what the series will be, you know? You say that should be like an honor, like you've been the five best guys, yeah. And and here's what we're gonna do. You know, you, you probably, you know, I'd say five would be a good number. At least, pretty much every other game you'll be off. But we want both teams in the finals to understand this is how it's being called. Yeah. Like I, I do think it's kind of weird in the sense that like you might get Joey Crawford in game one, and then nobody like the way he calls like, you know, fighting under the rim and stuff like that, and post play and off ball stuff. And then in game six, you know, you haven't seen it for such a long time, but then he's going to call it that way again. I, I do think that can be tough a little bit. Um, I, I, I'd be down for just one or two crews, honestly. Just Yeah, I th- well, if you're the best, you're the best. You know, if we have the best players in there, we might as well just have the, the best. Um, and and even, even if it's not the best, it'll be the most consistent because it'll be the same guys every game, at least. So, or the same group of guys every other game. Um, I agree with you. And you're right. It's really it's really hard too because like NBA is the hardest sport by far to officiate with you know with contact the way it's allowed off the ball and not allowed on the ball. It's just I, you're right. Being a ref in the fifties was probably awesome. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? And we don't have time because I gotta get out of the studio. But I gotta first of all, I never want to hear Steve Kerr or Reggie Miller say verticality ever again. Um, yeah. And. And the final point is that I don't care if your arms are straight up. If you're jumping forward toward a guy, that shouldn't be the verticality rule. And I saw Hibbert do that twice. Like you, he was not jumping straight up. His arms are straight up, but he's jumping forward. You know, like that, that, that there needs to be a little bit of an examination of the, okay, you can do whatever you want as long as your arms are just straight up. Like that, that uh, there needs to be, a, a, I think, a, a little bit of a, a look at that part of it. He committed nine fouls last night. Yes. Yeah. They got, I I mean, from the sense of it, you know, people saying that it's rigged. Indiana got a pretty good whistle the whole series. 
Like, yeah, I would say it was equally yeah. bad when it was when it was yeah. bad. It was equal and bad. Oh yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't good. It wasn't competent. I, I should say an equal whistle. You know, for for that. Yeah. All right. Um, you can read his work at uh, Liberty Ballers and uh, and quarterpoundernocheese dot com. <laughs> And it sounds funnier when you say it out loud, doesn't it? Um, yeah, that's, that's the goal. Yeah, and then uh, and then of course on Twitter at uh, Rich Hoffman, the underscore between the Rich and the Hoffman. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on, brother. I appreciate it. Hi, man. See you. I see. You.